and forgot about my rap. You're not a serious family show. You are acting like Johnny Depp. Doing from exponential potential to not being able to pay for the rental or even a bill from the dent on the house. That for your mental. I've been through hard times too. This situation demands I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm all times too. First of all, in the interests of diplomacy, uh, I need to uh, correct something from last episode. I bragged to you about having a new sponsor, which is um, Trap Queen Crab Remainders. They're based in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I got a pretty stern letter from the folks at HQ, and it was correct. I checked. I checked the contract that um, when I I dropped their name, I was also supposed to sing the jingle, which I didn't do. So, in the interests of keeping those sponsorship dollars flowing and corporate goodwill. Uh, yes, here, here, here goes the jingle, which is weird. They, they sent it to me, not as an MP3 I could sing along to. They sent me sheet music, which I can't, I can't read. So I'm, I'm just going to wing it on the melody. Hopefully this keeps the lights on at Breakup Gaming Society. This episode has been brought to you by Trap Queen Crab Remainders. Trap it, ship it, haul it, maul it. Seafood's easy on your wallet. If you're not sure what to call it, trap queen crab remainders. Ding. Ding. I got down. I put in the ding. I'm winging it. Welcome to episode 68 of Breakup Gaming Society. I'm your host and friend, the great unclean one. I talk about booze board games and hip-hop in this show in a highly autobiographical context. Thank you for riding along with me. By the way, if you hear crickets at any point sneaking into the audio, it's because every window in my house is open and I'm surrounded by them. I call them my studio audience. This week, Drink of the Week, is actually more of a bookmark. We're going to get to that, but um, it's going to be about bourbon eventually. Game of the Week is going to be... uh, the Sworn by Ghostlight GMless indie role playing game, um, which is made by Heaven Help Me on the pronunciation of this, Uigarian, aka Matthew John. He's on itch.io. Hopefully, uh, Matthew, one person hears this and ponies up five, six, seven, eight bucks. I think, matter of fact, he's still in the middle of his uh, oh shit, I'm going to be 40 sale on itch.io. And, and basically, it's a it's a occult detective mystery that generates a story that you can read and run yourself. I'm going to talk to you about my story setup and the first plot beat when I sat down and played it, and a few observations. Then lastly, track of the week. I can't tease it for you because I haven't picked it out yet, but this is the great unclean one you're talking to. I have excellent taste, and it's going to be good. All right, here comes drink of the week. For your metal, I've been through hard times too. The situation demands I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm hard times too. So I wish I could promise you novelty and excitement from Drink of the Week, but it, here's the fact of the matter. I'm on a little dry out this week. It just has to happen sometimes. Sometimes when your quote-unquote escape seems like as much work as whatever it is you're trying to escape from, especially in terms of recovery, it's just time to... Adjust your wavelength. Get on a different vibration for a while. Now, I have been uh, assembling this and that in my kitchen late at night, but it's nothing I haven't featured before. Uh, Most of my consumption has been 
mid-quality handles of this and that because money is tight. And like I said, it's all stuff we've heard about before. However, next episode, I'm going to talk about Yellowstone bourbon. It's one of those impulse purchases that turned into one of my biggest surprises of the year. And um, the only thing is I, I crushed it in two or three sits and took no notes and don't really have any granular recollection of it outside of sitting bleary, looking befuddled and awestruck at the label once in a while and going, God damn, this shit's good. But something tells me uh, I'm going to need to deliver something a little more toothsome than that. Um, But yeah, sober this week, Yellowstone bourbon next week, which I hardly recommend. That's, that's, that's the giveaway. Shit is good, but I'm, I'm going to come back uh, and, and sample, sample it again at a slower pace and, and tell you why, okay? I promise. Here comes Game of the Week. For your metal, I've been through hard times too. This situation's a man. I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm all times too. Here's the story so far. My character's name is Achille Kicks. Um, picture, if you will, a 19th century era man, tall in what what were probably once nice clothes. However, poverty and general ostracism have deeply compromised his clothing budget. They're nice, but getting greasy, stained, torn around the edges. Achilles' background is this. He was once an aspiring journalist a fairly from a fairly happy family of uh, petite, petite bourgeois shopkeepers. He, he came to the titular city of the sworn by ghostly, ghost light setting, which I am also not going to try to pronounce. He came to the titular city to uh, attend university and eventually become a writer or journalist, which he did. And as a cub reporter, as it, as it were, he started noticing some very unsettling things happening when the when ghost light time was up now in this world picture victorian london but there's a a moon overhead that literally leaks empiric energy onto the tableau young achille became convinced that someone or something in town was a nefarious cult and while doing due diligence and chasing down leads with no help from his editor. He was, he was mangled in a fire. That's the primary thing about his appearance. Imagine a melted candle with eyes and a slit mouth. That's my character. But it wasn't a fire. He still doesn't know the nature of what burned him. And he rarely appears during the day without uh, his improvised mask, which is, you know, layers and layers of cheesecloth. Think of the Invisible Man movie, you know, bandages. And uh, as his burns put people off, turns out he can move and think, you know, more easily in the demimond from twilight to dawn. But here's the fix for Achille. The more time he spends in that ghost light, the worse his mind seems to slip. I mean, he wants to find out why the cult that melted his face is so influential, and he wants to expose you know similar dangers when and where he can. But he, but here's the thing: his editors at the paper 
whereas put a, a, a small blurb. He and some others were injured in a fire. It, it wasn't a fire. It was, an, it was a psychic flame. It wasn't physical flame that burned him. He knows it. And he wants to tell his story, but his pressing the matter got him dismissed from that newspaper. So he was forced to start up with another less reputable paper under a pseudonym, and he has to submit his stories by either by post or by hiding them in locations that he reveals to his editors. The pay is not good. He can, uh, but he can eat with passable frequency. And uh, you know the going away wardrobe his parents gave him for uh, uni, originally of a nice cut, but more and stained more and more. And you know, a lot of this comes to the from the trauma of the burning. Um, is that he is also struggling with some mom, some mom. Don't we all struggle with a mom from time to time? No, some memory and cognitive loss after his burning, um, which hobbles the pace at which he'd like to find truths. Uh, he also has the disadvantage of being uh, obsessive and given to flights of anger. When these things aren't at the forefront of his mind consuming him, he's a fairly discerning writer-slash-journalist who's not necessarily brave, but it's just has been forced by his appearance and his, you know, his butt hurt, if you would, about finding what's up. That's Achille Kicks. And here's how the action started off. This is all queued up for you in the very tidy booklet that comes with the Sworn by Book Ghost Light game. And by the way, it's like chapters in a story. I think the, the one I started playing is called the Ebonwood Effigies. And uh, that's the one you want to start with if you're interested in Matthew John's work, because that one has all the base rules in it, and the, and the, and the rest are just sort of expansions. So yeah, that, that's my setup for the Ebonwood effigies. So I tried to sketch the scenes as maybe he would try to sketch in a notebook. It's important for him to keep a notebook. His, his memory is shot, and when the moon's out, his states get only worse. So in scene one, the victim is a young sex worker. By the way, this is a this is some trigger warning here because the story is gruesome and sad, I guess. A sex worker named Elijah um, has been found dead in back of the Pangolin, which is a welcoming working class theater on Cinder Street. Here are Achilles' notes from the crime scene, which he has to skulk, skulk about because he's not a detective. And he's not in good stead with detectives. Commotion in alley directly west of Pangolin Theater. Sergeant Colley present with club-happy constables rousting urchins. Colley, foul mood today, ejects me. Noted. Mangled lad. Elijah. Seen often with feral children and men who pay him. On back. Forearms frozen up, fingers curled in mockery of breast grope. Collie holding crude wooden carving. Insectoid? Constable strikes me in ribs. Retreat to safe distance. Children clubbed and questioned. Recognize one of E's cohort. Theater crier on occasion. Name? Name. Merd. No recall. Collie and thugs depart after wagon disposes victim. Waifs scatter and vanish. That's the setup scene, and this is where you start using the game's system 
to uh, come up with action cues and quote unquote skill checks sort of abstractly you know, represent um, if you could do something or how. Um, the, so I, I set up a, a progress track with the objective of find and question the boy. Um, the rating per the suggestion in the opening of the booklet is give it a dangerous rating. This determines the success of your skill checks and how able you are to close out various challenge tracks you set up for yourself. Now we're going to get into the mechanics in a little bit. Here's how the here's how his his hunt begins. These are again from Achilles' notebook. Boy spotted on soot that afternoon. Soot is one of the streets. Tail and observe for several hours. Am on burnt wharf. The lacune again. No connective tissue between current location and last sighting of boy. Review notes. Return to Pangolin to begin again. Rude, me- rude meal at stall en route. Gross in stomach. Poison in sky. Sweat profusely. A cry from the alley. Creep to observation range. Terror. Smell of flame not flame. One thousand nights alight in the muck. Infernal jellied odor. Tried to peer at source, was nearly bowled over by the boy, charging at unholy speed, blinded further by knee and crotch, subject terrified by phenomena in alley and my face. And this is how you know we got to the, the first plot beat, as it was. So, just for a little background, Matthew John based his creation on what I understand is a slightly pared-down version of a role-playing system based it on a slightly pared-down version of a role-playing system called Iron Sworn. Um, the setup was, was very uh, easy to do. There are, there are little tables for you to fill in a detail if you get stuck. And you, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with it uh, in terms of like other action resolution versus character skill versus plot-driving mechanics. But I liked this. Um, you begin with five attributes, edge, heart, iron, shadow, and wits. Rather than sit there and roll dice for them, you just rank them. In, uh, you get one four, that's the thing you're going to be the strongest in, two threes, one two, and then something you're very bad at, which is one. You just assign those numbers across those five, things, and boom, there's your skill set. Then there are other uh, mechanical measures, health, spirit, supply, and momentum which all start at, at presets and which can go up or down based on the things you encounter and what happens. How does that happen? It's a neat thing. It's, you set up progress tracks for yourself. You can have several little progress tracks that you set up and mark. And based on the difficulty of the scenario, for example, this one started as dangerous. Uh, your skills, uh, your skill checks, for example, the subtasks of trailing somebody or questioning them when you have, uh, when you have like Achille does, uh, very little charisma and a very terrifying appearance. You you check you check uh, various ones off, and sometimes when you roll your skills against the two d10s, which are called the challenge dice, um, you actually get some prompts to take the story in a wild new direction. So you can set up close, or even fail at numerous little progress bars that you set up throughout the game. It was cool. I liked it. I, I, liked, I, liked, I liked the framework of it and how it works is primarily 
a storytelling device with just enough metric meat to keep it moving. And, you know, if my mind bucked against the experience at all, it was more of a reflection of my state and recent circumstances than anything in the design. Uh, my current active contracts sometimes throughout summer have required some brutal two- or three-day sprints of fiction writing, of smashing together many chapters long after I want to go to bed and still trying to come up with you know, on-character uh, plot twists and stuff like that. <laughs> and so when I hit a challenge that said I was going to hit a big first plot point, this is funny, and again, this is no fault of the game, but I, I got writer's block because the plot twists I kept coming up with seem hackneyed and too templated and not like out of the blue enough to really make it the story interesting. Because I think what feels to me like the ultimate output of playing this game would be a cool story that other people wanted to hear. So I kind of hit the wall there. But again, that's not my fault or that's not, uh, that's not Sworn by Ghostlight's fault. I just had to slump for a second when I realized, oh, hell, I've just given myself another writing assignment. I need to unwind. So I hit timeout and just gathered my impressions up till now. But again, that's me. On a higher level, you know, this is what makes this breed of role-playing games so great. Uh, they, they do away with Dungeons & Dragons pretense that you need a stack of hardcover books to figure out what happens when your character tries to, say, negotiate with a cursed object or sneak up on an evil, sentient, eight-ounce filet with a pair of plus-one tongs or whatever. These are storytellers' games. Some are barely more than a platter of writing prompts with a light mechanical f uh, framework. And, you know, from a lot of the uh, things I read about people who are into D&D &D and play it heavily, there always seems to be it's, it's like the indie rock scene in your local town. There's not enough good drummers. There aren't enough GMs, I don't think, to make big, huge games really good. There's no GM to quibble with here. The game trusts you as a narrator. Uh, to paraphrase the well-traveled subway meme, if you don't like this, you didn't like your, your adventure, my brother in Christ, you're the GM. And let's face it, you know the, the multi-zillion dollar Dragon game attracts the crowd it does the same way the shittiest sports bar in your town uh, in the 1990s attracted everyone. That's where all your friends wanted to go. In storytelling, role-playing, role and refereeing them from a fairly heavy, heavy technical action framework. And from my experience, uh, outside of a replaying a handful of central casting power fantasies or shop-worn narrative templates... Uh, is a gift not a lot of people have. I, I tapped myself out in the first round because I just felt like I wasn't giving the experience, the imagination it required. But to me, you know, that's a challenge. That's a challenge with this form of gameplay. But it's also a wonderful opportunity. Like, for example, if I was an English teacher in college and high school, and I had 30, 40 kids in my room, who's have been lobotomized by TikTok and pornography, I'd make them play something like this to develop their writing. And I think if you're someone who wishes you wrote more, 
but don't write enough, and you need a little juice and a couple of prods to get you going, this is tremendously valuable. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's my adventure so far. And that's, to me, one of the, the charms of this genre. On another note, it's your patriotic duty to buy these things. Business press are always talking about the great reset or quiet quitting or the great resignation. It's not the great anything. What we need is the great redirect where people divert some of the hundreds and hundreds of dollars they're giving to Hasbro so that one of someone on their board of directors can have their fourth house and instead divert it to cool bare-knuckle creations like Sworn by Ghostlight. You know, you, you, you buy the latest module or player's handbook, yeah, you, you're, you're helping buy private jet time for Wizards of the Coast execs. You buy these, you're helping somebody keep a roof over their head. And, and they're more fun. I remember a, a client I used to have at a B2B marketing agency. I was the account executive. They always were talking about means and ends. Dungeons and Dragons isn't an end. It's just a, it's just a vehicle. It's a product. Where are you trying to get? You're trying to have fun and tell a good story. So if you can tell a good story and have fun with a printout, a three-page booklet, and three dice, there you go. Anyway, that's enough of my economic moralizing. I want to uh, just yeah, give a shout-out to a Sworn, Sworn by Ghostlight, of which uh, I've sampled the case of the Ebonwood effigies. I also have a second adventure from them on deck. It's, um, it's called The Wings of Rot. It uses the same system but a completely different story, and one I want to go back to when my creative batteries are recharged, and I can tell you a good one. All right, let's do track of the week. Your metal, I've been through hard times too. The situation demands I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm hard times too. So, De La Soul and the fairly recent passage of Trugoy the Dove, that one fucked me up. As a matter of fact, until just last week, I haven't even been able to listen to a De La Soul track. I'm not trying to be histrionic. Just once in a while, one of those pieces of news crosses your radar, and it must have brought other unresolved grief or something along with it, because I, I didn't even want to think about it for a week. Everybody wants to be firsties on Twitter, you know, when they get the news. There are public demonstrations of remorse, which I don't begrudge them. I'm glad. I'm glad people remembered them. I think Maybe even worse than getting the news was a few weeks later when I was in Colorado Springs. Drunk as shit in a hotel lobby. And I was talking to these two young dudes and I was playing plug tuning. And I was just like, yeah, Trugoy the Dove just died. And they just look at me and they're like, the, Trugoy the who? I'm like, De La Soul. I think this was probably the worst sentence I've ever heard. I think one of the kids said, yeah, I think I heard of them. I think I've heard of them. But in either case, for, so for a while, just because the way the news hit me, I just didn't want to hear the track. So it found me. The algorithm solved the problem. I'm just sitting there, and uh, I don't know whether it was on my likes or it was just recommending stuff based on something I'd played, but Change and Speak from their very first album came up, and I was just f filled with a, a small flickering amber joy. 
that kind of got me off my neurotic, I can't deal with it anymore thing. You know, it's interesting. And I think they addressed this in a song called Pea's Porridge on their second album because they came out the gates, you know, with daisies on the cover of their album, abstract, laid back style and no big gold ropes and all that. That You know, I guess, you know, according to hear them tell it on Pea's Porridge off De La Soul is Dead, a lot of people thought they were punks. And the whole song was about no or not. And uh, if you make trouble for us at our shows, it's going to be you versus all of Native Tongues. Incredible song. But you get back to Change and Speak, you know, I was listening to it again and thinking these, these kids were... I heard the rhymes that are different. I was like, they, they, they kind of were battle MCs. It's groovy as hell, but it's not soft. And, and those rhymes are dripping with braggadocio and a fierce artistic pride. And you know, they disposed of a lot of the usual battle tropes and metaphors and announced, and this is like that, what's that famous business book about red ocean and blue ocean strategy? Rather than trying to be the shark that eats in the red ocean already full of competitors, the red ocean being that way because it's full of blood. As you go blue ocean and you establish yourself as categorically different. Is that what they kind of what they meant when they said, you know, we're not MCs, we're speakers. And they invented their own vernacular and it carries all the competitive spirit of the age in a package that was so just deceptively groovy and playful that none could resist. I mean, dudes at my college who were trading fucking Grateful Dead tapes from 75 and used to shit on hip-hop every chance they got, all had that CD inside their dorm rooms within a year of it dropping. Instant genre-smashing classic. And pure hip-hop at heart, headed up by two of the most gifted, trenchant rhyme writers ever to do it. That being the Mike Men, Pasta News, and True Goy. So I just want to say thank you you beautiful kids for turning the whole summer that, that, that I had that on the tape deck into a happy dream. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to play a little bit from uh, the song that broke me out of my funk. And uh, it has uh, Prince Paul puts that beautiful sample from, I think it's called Simonde, C-Y-M-A-N-D-E. It uh, forms the, the melody uh, that he uses the bass and horns on the verses and the chorus kind of lets that really cassava heavy beat he's got going on. And just Prince Paul is so good at just putting those little high notes in something where there's no vocals on the chorus. There's a horn riff. And then what sounds like a vocal samples, uh, vocal sample stab from James Brown or somebody like him. Uh! And then, then it's back to these amazing groundbreaking verses. So I'm just going to play some of the verses I'm going to play parts of the chorus. And uh, here's to one of the microphone artists who changed it all for me. I'm not going to say anything else on this episode. I'm just going to let this snippet stand stand for itself. And uh, I'll see you back on episode 69, I hope. Until then, may you fight long and well. Live is 
the motion of the soul step. Set the exposure to my one step. This scene will last to the next step. All those in favor take a big step. Truth to the soul will never backstep. Insensitive, we don't have step. Just as a reminder from the last step, negative ones are lost in the footsteps. 